the daddy computer. Love the Father, 
That word sea, literally in the Greek, is what country does this great love the Father come from? And the reason the translators don't put it in what country is because it's an idiom that made sense in the first century. It's like somebody was just blew your mind. You're like, what country do you come from? Probably a better transliteration from one culture to the other culture would be like, what planet does this love come from? See what great love the Father has for us. What planet does this love come from that He would lavish upon us His love that we'd be called children of God for that is what we are. It's interesting that uh, Christianity of alone of the major world religion speaks about God as Father. Even the Old Testament, only in I think five or six places, it speaks about God as Father. And then Jesus comes with this intense, pulls the curtains back and he tells God is Father. There is some, for example, you, God isn't Father. There's a book called I Dare to Call Him Father. It's written by a Muslim woman who was Muslim and then she got hold of the Bible. She read the Quran, read the Bible, first she thought they were the same thing. And then as she read it, she went, oh my goodness, these are incompatible messages. And alone in her room, she said, God, I don't know which book is your book. And she said, God, show me which book is your book. And she said, God spoke to her and said, the one by which you call me Father. Another thing we learn about God in these verses is that God is in heaven, that God is unseen. The literal translation here is that God is in the heavens. He's in the heavens. Uh, In the mind of a Jewish person in the first century, the heavens referred to one of three possibilities. One, it referred to the immediate space around your body. That's the heavens. Or it referred to the sky above, where the clouds were, and the, you know, the, the sun and the moon, and up there. Or thirdly, it referred to the third heaven, the little place where God dwelt. Paul has a vision and he's caught up to it. The third heaven in a vision. So when Jesus speaks about the Father in heaven here, which one is he speaking about? Well, obviously he is in heaven. And obviously, you know, he fills the skies, but what's being emphasized here is the very first one. That the Father is right here, right now, in the very spiritual atmosphere that surrounds your body. I remember when I was a kid, there was this, um, this song. <laughs> there was a song um, that was, the song was, um, From a Distance. <laughs> Watching us, and, and, then, and then Jesus says, "No, right around your body, the Father's right here." It's not like he's just got good vision from afar. He's right here, right now. And by the way, that's true this very moment. The Father is right here, right now in the space surrounding your body, and he's seen into the depth of your being. And then the third thing we know about God is that He sees what's done in the secret motivations of our hearts. Yes, the Father sees how we live, the things we do, but He also sees the motive that leads us to do it. See, God's not just interested in us doing the right things. He's also interested in us doing the right things for the right reasons. And uh, this is why motives are so important. Because, uh, let's be honest, so much of what we do is to impress other people. In fact, social media has now socialized humans everywhere, especially young ones, to live completely in this like constant brand management. 
the, the, what, the image that you're projecting. That is, you, you are what people think you are on social media. And the Father doesn't just see the images. He doesn't even just see what we do. He sees what's behind it. And, and ultimately, the, 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 what the, the Spirit of God does in our lives is He changes us from inside. Gives us a new motivational fountainhead. Galatians 5 says, All that matters is faith expressing itself in love. All that matters is that you live your life with this childlike trust in your Heavenly Father. And this trust in your Father causes you to overflow outwardly in love for other people. I mean, that's, that's what God's Spirit wants to do to your heart. Yeah. But uh, let's be honest, there are other motivations that drive us, not just trust in God, not just love for people. We try to impress people, to give you good things, to try and impress people. Yeah. And, and the powerful thing is that even if you do a small thing with big love, God, that especially God delights in. Mother Teresa used to say to the nuns, in your organization. It's not big actions that change the world. It's small actions done with big love that have the power to change the world. Hey, I'm a bit confused. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Let your good deeds shine before pe- people that they can praise your Father in heaven. But now he's telling us to, like, you know, keep it secret. What's going on? He's speaking about motivation here. You see, so the reason you, you show your deeds before people is you wanted to show people because you love them what the Father is like. That's good. Very speaking about doing good deeds because you want them to think you're awesome. And then the last thing, notice that God rewards us when we please Him. God rewards us when we please Him. All of God's children are equally loved. But not all God's children bring equal pleasure to the Father. You see, over and above the gift of salvation, God wants to reward our faithfulness to Him. If we're faithful in both what we do and the attitude with which we do it, He promises He will reward us. What is this reward? It's a big teaching in Scriptures. Uh, Especially our reward comes one day when we see Him face to face. You can go through decades of suffering and people think you totally missed it with your life and you get to heaven and you realize you did it spot on, bullseye. You did it bullseye with your life. But there is a reward that is being spoken of here as something that's present tense. See, partially in this life already, I think the reward is simply sensing God's smile in that you are trusting in Him and it's overflowing in love for others. And the reward comes in more joy. You want more joy in your life? Trust God. You want more joy in your life? Let it overflow in love to other people. And, and I think some of the reward comes with an increase of spiritual authority. And most of us are motivated by the thought of somebody appreciating our efforts. I mean, how easily a married couple can take each other for granted. I'm bored of there and I'm here. Thank you for what you do. I see your sacrifice, especially dads to moms. I think you know, that's one of the primary things in your job description. Right? See the sacrifices. And in the same way, uh, the Father wants to reward us. He, he, he appreciates us. And as we live for Him, He lets us know. And by the way, it's not hard to please. 
that first you've got to want to please him more than anyone else. If you want to please people more than God, you can never please him. That if in your heart of hearts you want to please God more than people, it's easy to please him. Let's keep going, verse 2. So when you give to those in need, do not announce it with trumpets. Okay, Jesus got a sense of humor here. He's painting these pictures like... One of our kids has just got a saxophone, hired a saxophone, because he, you know, he just walks around the house making this terrible noise. <laughs> when you give to those in need, do not announce with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Speaking about giving to those who need, Jesus doesn't say, please give to those who need. He says, when you give to those who need, he assumes that all godly people give to those who are in need. But he's especially homing in here on the motivation behind it. See, in the first century, in the synagogue, there was a lot of ostentation behind your giving. In fact, there were some festivals where at the time of giving there were literal trumpets. The giving to others in need. I mean, Proverbs 14, whoever is kind to the needy honors God. John 12, you see Jesus and his disciples giving money to the poor. This speaks directly to giving things and money to the poor. But the broader principle surely is giving time and treasure and talents in a way that invests to relieve the suffering of the poor. And it's so important to empower the poor in ways that increase their dignity rather than a sense of dependency. Look, maybe given this some thought already, there is a way of giving to a person that undermines their dignity. And, and action makes them dependent. We've got to find ways to give that lift people up in dignity, that empowers people. And notice, you've got these Pharisees in the first century who are masters of projecting righteous images. They're really living for the applause and approval of everybody else. Going, wow, that guy's a godly guy, that woman's a godly woman. And Jesus says, yeah, you've got your reward in full. The very fact that people went, wow, you're amazing. You've got your reward. That's a done. See, if you're living for your Father in heaven, the reward is still coming. But when you give to the needy, says Jesus, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your money, your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Jesus here is speaking about giving in a way that's not self-conscious, not self-advertising, not self-congratulatory. There's also something to be said about um, giving anonymously. You ever received a gift from someone and you feel the obligation afterwards? Every time you see them, you're obligated to that person. It's a form of cruelty, actually. When you give to someone, give via others. Keep it anonymous. And Jesus carries on, and when you pray, verse 5, he says, Say, Father. So I want to spend the rest of my message, a little bit of time about that to you, speaking about our Father in heaven. Because this revelation that God is our Father is right at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, we've already seen that they were meant to make the Father know. Let your good deeds shine before people that they may praise your Father in heaven. You, you live in because you want to make the Father know. Once you realize how awesome God is, Something inside me says, I oh, so badly want my children to know how awesome God is. Yeah. 
I so badly want my, my friends and my family members and my colleagues to know how awesome God is. And then Jesus also spoke, and we saw last week, about reflecting the Father's character. He says, be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. And there he's speaking about being fully functional, not like legalistically perfect. Be fully functional in love. The Father is this whole person who overflows in unconditional love and mercy. Be like that. We, we kind of reflect the Father's character. And then we see today that we want to please the Father. And now we see that we need to pray to the Father. See, Christian spirituality revolves around this relationship with your Father. Let's be honest, some of us grew up with great relationships with our earthly Father. And when we hear about God as our Father, we just we immediately resonate with this idea. It takes. Others of us have had disappointing experiences with fathers, or we haven't had a father. And often this is this is a we, we struggle with this whole idea. Sometimes I speak to people and they say, you know, I really get the idea of God revealing himself to Jesus. And God is Father, I just can't, I can't stomach it, I can't get to it. It's all putting. I'm actually trying not to think about God as Father. And, and what we need to remember is that, that our Heavenly Father is not at all like our earthly Father. Even the best earthly Father is just a, a shadow of the good Father in Heaven. Romans chapter 8, I'd love to speak on this verse for the rest of my message. All those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. For you are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather you have received the Spirit of adoption and by Him we cry, Abba Father. Let me read that again. All those who are led by the, the Spirit are children of God. For you are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather you have received the spirit of adoption, and by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Having God as our Father is a complete privilege. And I want to just highlight, I think, five or six ways. Number one, with God as my Father, I am the apple in His eye. That language, of all those who are led by the Spirit are children of God, it echoes a verse in the Old Testament where it says, God found Him in the desert, and He led Him, and He kept Him as the apple of His eye. When I go pick up my kids from school, hundreds of kids, and then the apples of my—they emerge in the crowd. People say, "If you've got five kids, like you, know, you just divide the same amount of love." Because if one kid loves, you know, a child this much, people with five kids just you know, each get twenty percent of the love they could have had. And sometimes I might feel like that they you love. But actually, the truth is that you have a child, you love them with all your heart. When you have another child, it's like your, your, heart, your heart is like a house. There's another room, a whole other chunk of your heart. Like you love this child with all your heart too. And on it goes. The apple of my heart. Finny, you're the apple of my heart. This guy brings me so much joy. I love this and, 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 and some days he's abstreperous. <laughs> Look that up in the dictionary. <laughs> and, and he's exhausting. <laughs> I never love him less. There's nothing you can do that makes me love you more. 
only two Psalms that speaks of God as our Father says, As the Father has compassion on His children, the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. See, whatever we need is the guidance, is the provision, is the protection. We can call out, Abba Father, help me. Our prayers will not fall on deaf ears or a heart of stone. And in number five, if God is my Father, I can minister with the Father. I can minister with the Father. See, remember what I said just now. Jesus is the Son of God. We are the Son of God, a daughter of God. But, but we observe the older brother to learn how to relate to the Father. You know, Eli was in the world for two years and built a relationship with mom and dad. Finn rocked up two years later to the dad. And he saw how this relationship was. And, and he learned something about how you know, Eli's relationship with the parents affected his relationship. Amazingly, in John 17, Jesus says, The Father loves you as much as he loves me. It blows mind. I mean, can it really be true? But now look at Jesus, the way he prayed. He didn't say his prayers. His life was a prayer. He kept constant company with the Father. He stayed true, heartbeat to heartbeat with the Father's desire. He communicated back and forth with the Father continuously. And we can learn to keep our hearts turned to the Father, even if you're talking to other people or you're doing something else. And like Jesus, we can learn to minister to other people in tandem with the Father. As we seek to minister to others or push back the darkness or bring in the light, we'll find that we are not left to our own devices. See, we don't work for God as much as we work with God. And it all starts with aligning our will to the Father's will. Jesus says, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You say, Father, what you want, I want. But then we learn to be attentive to what God might be doing or saying. And we take small steps to follow his lead. Jesus says, my Father is working until now, and I am working. The Son can only do what he sees the Father doing. So he's talking to the Father, and the Father suddenly alerts him to a person in the crowd. Well, the Father suddenly says, stop it now. Father said, move in this direction. There's this attentiveness to the Father. And then finally, with God as my Father, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm no longer a slave to fear. The human experience is a scary one. <laughs> Before Jesus moves into our lives, we are by nature slaves to fear. So we, we might learn to cover up our insecurities from others, and maybe even from ourselves. We develop a brash confidence. We distract ourselves with the whirlwind of busyness. We achieve sterling success. We amass wealth and friends. We believe these things will protect us into the future. Nevertheless, the fear remains. That when we become a child of God, the Spirit deals with that fear. He liberates us from it. From it. 2 Timothy 1. The Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and a sound mind. And yet Paul says it's still possible for us to slip back into the old fears once again. You got free from the fears, but now they're back again. What are, what are the fears of the human experience? Well, one, and a lot of people in the West don't really connect with this, but the dominant fear in most of the world in history is the fear of evil spirits across Africa. Tell you what attracts people to Jesus Christ is they find somebody stronger than the spirits that afflict their lives and their families. 
Jesus gives us authority over the works of the evil one. There's the fear of legalism. Yeah, a lot of uh, spiritual traditions, or you know, just the, you've got this legalistic approach to, to, to God, and it's almost like you wake up in the morning, you're going to push this rock up on the up on a mountain, you're going to try so hard to get it right, and you know it's going to roll back over you. But you just got to do it every day. How wonderful that though the message of other religions is do, 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 then you will be accepted. The message of the gospel is you're accepted. Now, now do. It doesn't hinge on your performance. If we perform well, God will take us in. That's not what we think. And then, and then no matter how well we do, we've got this thought in the back of our head, it's not enough. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. But in the gospel, we're accepted, not on the basis of our spotty moral record, but on the basis of Jesus' deeds and Jesus' death. So it's important that we realize that God is our Father, not our boss. You can have a friendly relationship with your boss. But in the back of your mind, you know that they're evaluating your performance the whole time, and you could be dismissed. <laughs> it changes the dynamics. Eli and Finn, yeah, they could, they could come under the discipline of their dad and their mom, but they know they'll never be dismissed or rejected or banished from this home. They'll always be children. They part of their, their, their acceptance is guaranteed. Tim Keller, he says, The Spirit gives to believers an existential inward certainty that their relationship with God does not now depend on their performance as it does in the relationship between an employee and a supervisor. It depends on parental love. When Jesus came out of that water, the heavens opened up, and the Father said, This is my Son whom I love, with whom I will please. And what Jesus experienced there is something that every believer can experience. This is my son. This is my daughter whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. He delights in us just because we are his children. There's nothing we can do that will make him love us more. Nothing we can do that will make us love him less. He wants us to, to know in the core of our beings that we are loved. Martin Luther was famous for praying for two hours a day. But he used to say, you know, a lot of his praying is just trying to shake off this performance orientation to God. So, so he, he kind of encouraged people, he says, when you pray, maybe you want to start like this. Say, God, thank you that you could be a severe judge and I'm just a sinner. But through your mercy, please put in my heart a comforting trust in your fatherly love. Let me experience the sweet childlike certainty that I can joyfully call you Father. That I can know and love you and call on you in every trouble. This is my son. This is my daughter, whom I love with whom I love. Can I ask you to stand? And can we come back up? such a settled sense that you are loved beyond your wildest dreams. And he does this by his spirit. 
Are we safe?